0: My message this morning is on the three verbs of Jesus, the three verbs of Jesus. For those of us who went to school, a verb is a doing word or an action. So another title will be three actions of Jesus, but allow me to go with the word verb, the three verbs of Jesus. And uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, sermon this morning to guide us allow me to go to Luke chapter 9 verse 23 to 27 Luke 9:23 to 27 The Bible says then he said to them all whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to lose their life whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will save it. 25, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? 26, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. 27, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not test death before they see the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, bless your word and minister by your spirit to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a piece of wood that I instructed to be brought to church for my sermon. Can somebody taller? Bring it up. This is going to be a beautiful illustration of what we want to share this morning. Where is my favorite guy? The only one? (laughs) Clap for him as he comes. Now you can carry it and face the people. We have sung beautifully about the cross. We have shouted about the cross. We have confessed the cross. But this morning, allow me by the grace of God to bring to you three key things about this cross that you should understand. Because if you understand these three key things, I assure you, your life will never be the same again. As the Lord Jesus stood on that cross, in the book of uh, John 19 and even Luke 25, about there, the man who was on that cross was not just standing on a structure. He was standing on a pattern that can impact humanity. He was standing on something that is so deep and so rich that if understood, can never leave the world the same. Team, you can put your hand here. One hand here, the other hand there. Let's illustrate. On the side of his right hand was a man. On the side of his left hand, there was a man. Beneath his feet was a ground. Above him was heaven. I repeat. On his side on the right stood a man, condemned. On the left stood a man condemned. Beneath his feet was ground that his blood kept soaking. And above him was heaven. Three key things that we should understand. The cross is intended to help you reach the world. Whether the world is not believing like the thief on the left or the world is believing like the thief on the right, the cross is to equip you to reach the world. But the same cross is to help you to understand how to reach the church because the church was symbolized by the blood that poured down on the ground. Ultimately, this cross should one day lead you to heaven where the head of Jesus was pointed, when he said, Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? The verbs of Jesus, therefore, are three. It is the verb of reaching out. It is the verb of rooting in. And it is the verb of being caught up. The verb of Jesus is about, do you reach Your neighborhood. Do you reach your family? Do you reach those who are lost? Do you reach out to them? Do you love on them? The verb of Jesus is about evangelism. The verb of Jesus also is about do you know how to be rooted in your local church? Do you know how to be rooted in the teachings about Jesus? Because the blood of Jesus was to bring you to his church so that you can grow in your faith. Ultimately, this cross was to lead you to heaven. This cross was to lead you to unbelievable intimacy and secrets stored away from the natural arena. Three people that I want to talk about beautifully took this cross. And as they walked with this cross throughout the New Testament, our Bible forever remained the greatest book ever written. The first person who took this cross, because the Bible says, as we have read, take up your cross and follow me. The first person who took the cross and he beautifully carried this cross as an evangelist was Peter. In Acts chapter 2, We read of him preaching a beautiful sermon. And by the end of the sermon, 3,000 people got saved. In Acts chapter 4 verse 4, we read of him preaching another powerful sermon. 5,000 people were saved. In Acts chapter 10, we read of him again going to the first Gentile house and the whole household of a ruler getting saved. Peter was carrying the cross, but he was carrying it as an evangelist. He was reaching his community why was Peter the chief evangelist one time during the miracle service we learned that Peter when Jesus met him in Matthew chapter 3 I believe from verse 18 if not chapter 4 I believe chapter 4 verse 18 when Jesus met him he was casting nets Peter was the caster. He was a man who harvests fish. He was casting nets to harvest fish. And when Jesus met him casting the net, he converted him now to cast the net and reap people and win people. As a result, Peter was always casting nets. Peter was always throwing his efforts into the harvest. Peter became a mighty evangelist. And you can ask me, man of God, Why do you tell us about evangelism? Now that I'm a businessman, I'm not a preacher. Now that I am a doctor and I'm not an evangelist. Maybe I am just a good Christian who goes to his workplace and comes back. This is what the Lord spoke to me to tell you. If you learn to be an evangelist, it means you will learn to reach out even to your own profit. A man who is introverted, a man who is withdrawn, a man who is selfish cannot reach out. And therefore, because you are selfish, you cannot have a harvest in your personal life. No man seated here with a wife did not reach out. No man seated here with a job did not reach out. And if we are going to learn to be evangelists, we must learn to reach out. This arm of the cross, must never be mocked. Today, many can pray but cannot reach out. Many can give but they cannot reach out. Many can wish but cannot reach out. Many can debate but they cannot reach out. There is a reaching out you need to get married. And for those of you who are married, there is a reaching out you need to keep that marriage growing. There was no growth without the efforts of Peter. As Peter kept reaching out, the church kept growing. As Peter kept casting the net, the church kept increasing. And today, if a man is going to see growth in his life, he must learn the first verb of Jesus, and that is reaching out the arm of evangelism. There was a danger with this man called Peter that I want to warn you about. Peter was reckless <laughs> Mama, nothing kills evangelists like recklessness and lack of character and lack of integrity the other day a famous evangelist was buried and all of us remember him, those who have television and this man was buried like a king and you could ask me, man of God, how many dead people did he raise? None. How many people got healed of cancer through his ministry? Almost none. But one thing helped this man to finish strong. He kept his character intact. Nothing kills our growth like character. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is telling Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because the same man who is reckless and adventurous to make growth happen can also be very shaky in his character. If you want to see growth, make sure that to your boldness and to your adventure, you add character. You add soundness. And there are many people in your business right now as you are listening to me. Things are not happening because with one hand you reach out, with the other hand you destroy. With one hand you are expanding, with the other hand you are scattering. Peter must learn to be stable. No wonder his name was changed from who? Simon. To what? To Peter. Simon means the shaky one, while Peter means the rock, the steady one. And listen to me, young people. I know you have energy. I know you have psych. You have ideas. You have dreams. But if you are still Simon, you may scatter. If you are still Simon, who has not allowed his character to be grounded, you will be in trouble. Now, Pastor Kimani, the problem with grounding Peter is that we must rebuke him very harshly. And... Today's generation do not like rebuke. They do not like being told you are a devil. (laughs) They they like motivational speeches and nice pampering of their psychology. And they wonder, why is God not using me? God is not using you because you cannot handle rebuke. Matthew 16, Jesus calls Peter a devil. And Peter thought, the rebukes were over till you come to Galatians chapter two, from verse eight going down, where Paul stands in his face in front of the public and he rebukes him again. Why? With all due respect to all evangelists led by Mama Mai, evangelists can be reckless sometimes. And they can dress reckless, talk reckless, do reckless things. And if a man is not there to steadily and lovingly rebuke them, their efforts may come to nothing. I know you are trying to expand your business. You are trying to make your marriage grow. But if you can't be subjected to sharp rebuke, your growth may come to nothing. Peter is rebuked, not once, not twice. But several times. With this rebuke, the man was kept in line. The first time is hindering Jesus from going to the cross. The next time is hindering the Gentiles from interacting with the Jews. Peter was reckless. And so are all high energy people. Many high energy people are very reckless. And the solution Jesus gives to us in the Bible, they have to take up the cross. How do they take it? One hand they are multiplying and increasing. On the other hand, they are being pruned and being chopped down and being beaten into shape so that the harvest is not scattered. The second man we see as part of carrying the cross. And I like, I like the way this cross is constructed. This is the shortest. Because it takes just 20 minutes to get 2,000 people getting saved. Okay? It takes even 10 minutes. Hey, hey, hey. And you preach and people get saved. It takes five seconds of marketing and your business can explode. Till you discover (laughs) the greatest amount of work needed in the place called grounding. Somebody say grounding. And Paul the Apostle comes. As a teacher, like no other was ever lived in history. And he begins to ground the church. And he begins to ground the church. And he begins to toil. And he begins to take journeys and journeys. And he writes letters after letters. And the more Paul was writing letters and praying and pastoring and teaching, the more the church was getting grounded. It is not enough to have big customers. It is not enough to have a thriving marriage. It is not enough to have big dreams. It is not enough to have great world-changing efforts. If you are not going to subject yourself to grounding and to teaching and to structure and to depth, my brother, you will soon shake and fall apart. Imagine this cross without this part, And it is only this how much wind can it take? Imagine this cross without this bigger section, without this bigger part. How much visibility will it have? You are as visible to the extent of the teachings you have received in your spirit. You are as steady against the wind to the extent of the teachings about Jesus that you have received in your spirit. Matthew 7 from verse 11 going down, Jesus gives the famous parable, Whosoever shall listen and act upon the word that I speak, whosoever shall hear these sayings and shall put them in practice, this is the only man who has a right to believe is grounded on a solid rock. But whosoever shall not listen, or if he listens, he does not do. What I teach, what I say, He shall be like a house built on sand. The issue is not the house because evangelism and great theories and great concepts and great advertising and great reaching out can really give you a house. The issue is not the house. The issue is the foundation. The issue is not how big the house is. The issue is not how big your name is. Am I talking to somebody? The issue is not how big the enterprise is. The issue is this. When the wind comes, when the flood comes, will we find a foundation? Will we find a grounding? Paul, by the mercy of God, begins to teach. And he taught for several years. He taught with many tears. He taught as we read one time from house to house and publicly the man taught and could not give up on teaching and on empowering people with pastoral blessing and wisdom. And the more Paul taught this beautiful church the more the church grew and the more the church was grounded. However there was a problem with Paul. Somebody said there was a problem. In Acts chapter 9 When Jesus meets Paul, we read in verse 5, Jesus begins to rebuke Paul for one mistake a lot of grounders do. Remember, all these vessels Jesus is using to carry his cross to the world have imperfections, and they have risks they need to watch against. Peter must watch against character. Paul must watch against being stubborn. Paul is told by Jesus. King James version, NIV omits it. King James version says, "Why do you kick against the pricks? Why do you kick? You keep kicking the same thing that is bigger than you. Why do you oppose what you do not understand? Why do you come against what you do not have an idea about?" And Paul could not answer because Jesus was right. And like younger, the greatest problem I've seen with teachers of the world is their stubbornness and their self-righteousness and their conviction that it is their way or no way. Why were the Pharisees very harsh on Jesus and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees? They were harsh on Jesus because the way he was proposing was alien to them. Whatever he was trying to bring forth was not natural to them. So they began to oppose him. And the more they opposed him, the more they were crushed. And the more they were rendered irrelevant. Listen to me, you teach the word. And I'm not saying you are a teacher of the world, now you have an office or anything. Remember, teaching is contemporary. You can teach the church, you can teach your wife, you can teach your children, you can teach your customers, you can teach your students in class. You can teach anyone you want to teach. But listen to me. Be very careful not to be dogmatic. Be very careful not to oppose what you do not understand. Be very careful not to come against What is not within your equilibrium? What is not within your background? That was the problem of the Pharisees and many teachers today. are denominations, my brother Joe, if we go to, we will be beaten to death. Not because we worship the devil, but because we bring something that is foreign. Something that is not understandable. But allow me to go back a bit, lest I lose you. Before you can teach people, you must reach them. Before Paul could could teach any church, he had to do evangelism. He had to bank on evangelism. How can you teach a child you have not reached out and fathered? How can you teach people you have not made initiative and contacted? Are you hearing me, church? Before you can teach, you must reach out. And the problem today, we have people who go teaching anybody and they wonder why their teachings are not taken seriously. This is why their teachings is not taken seriously. They have not evangelized. They have not reached out. They have not extended their boundaries. They have not gone beyond their comfort zones. People want to listen to somebody who has taken the trouble to reach them. Not a stranger. And Jesus said, the strangers, the sheep will not hear their voice. Because strangers, they cannot recognize. One beautiful thing with being evangelistic, it makes you no longer to be a stranger. One thing that is about reaching out, reaching out demystifies your image. And it makes you accessible. Now after you are accessible they can sit at your feet and be taught. I see every day I see leaders who are trying to teach people who are wondering who are you? I see fathers trying to teach children who are wondering who are you? I see spouses trying to teach a spouse and the other spouse is wondering who are you? Are you? You are a stranger because the day to reach out to me and to connect to me and to grieve with me, you are not there. Now you are forgetting this arm and going straight to this other arm and it is not working. Am I talking to somebody? You are trying to tell customers, always buy in my shop and you have never taken time even to know their phone number and even their second name. And you are wondering, why don't these people listen to me? They are not listening to you because you are not an evangelist. You are a stranger. And I tell, one time I was telling some two parents, very learned people, take a walk with your son. Just take a walk in the park. Just take a walk. And he told me, a walk? You reduce me to a walk? And I told him, my dear brother, this man you are questioning whether we should take a walk, he is a stranger. At least the walk will introduce the two strangers to each other. He told me, no. I will switch off the TV this night. They will sit down. I will talk. And after the talk, there was only sleep from the audience why was there sleep from the audience the teacher was a stranger and I'm talking to you people of God let us not theologize the cross let us not take it too theological this thing is deep it can help revamp your marriage it can help revamp your fatherhood and your motherhood it can help revamp your business if you understand what this thing means Paul says, you have many teachers, people coming to teach you, but you have one father. Somebody who fathered you, somebody who reached out to you, somebody who came to you when you are nothing, you have one father, and Paul was that father. Therefore, he could not permit them not to listen to him, because they deserve to be listened to. The other problem with Paul, my time is going. Paul, like every other teacher, needed to know one truth. But nothing qualifies you to be a teacher like suffering. No one suffered like Paul. Yet, in those sufferings, no one taught like Paul. Many of you today, all you are seeing are sufferings and troubles. Paul has suffered many things. And the more Paul suffers, the more Paul learns. Pastor Kibani, the problem today with some Christians, the more they suffer, the more they get confused. The more they get bitter. And they forget it is suffering that teaches more than anything. Suffering teaches. And we see in Hebrews chapter 5, from verse 5 going down, that Jesus during his days on earth had to suffer. Because through suffering, he learned obedience. Mr. Teacher, Mrs. Teacher, before you sit down to teach, question is this, have you suffered? Before you tell us why we should be wise, do you know the suffering that comes with the lack of wisdom? Can you talk out of the place of suffering or are you talking out of the place of self-righteousness? And people hate it when you come to them and you have no idea what you are talking about. When you are telling us about giving and you have no idea what pain it takes to give. When you are talking about you know uh, being of good behavior and you have no scars to prove for good behavior. The more Paul suffered, the more Paul got authority. I want to encourage somebody. You are wondering, why am I suffering? Or why did I really suffer? The Lord is teaching you obedience. And if you get promoted, you will get promoted with authority. You will get an audience. You will get an authority over everything that was trying to swallow you down. The Bible says he was tempted. He was pushed around. He was crushed. He was offended so that he could become like us. Listen to me, church. People hate it when you are not like them. People do not trust you if you are not like them. And they want to fill your heartbeat. They don't want to fill your head. They have a bigger head than you for your information. The more Paul suffered, the more Paul sank deeper in the knowledge of Jesus. Lastly, before I go to this favorite part of mine, Paul was not teaching concepts. Paul was not teaching principles. Paul was not teaching ideas. Paul was not teaching. Anything other than Jesus. And that helped civilization. That helped the church to death. Allow me to give you a short story. There is a man I know who lived in the village. And he suffered as an orphan. Later on, God promoted him. He got an opening to go abroad to study. And he studied and did three degrees, then came back. After a while, he felt God calling him to open a church as a minister. So he opened a church. And he began to do ministry. And the ministry thrived. In that congregation were the who is who of that city. However, there was a problem. What was the problem? The man taught people about himself. The man taught people about his struggles. The man taught people about his ideas. The man taught people about his opinions. Soon, the whole congregation began to imitate him and to look like him. A prophet went to that congregation, and he was seeing the image of the man in everybody, and he looked for Jesus. He could not see Jesus. I am asking you, dear parent, are you pushing your children to your image, or are you pushing them to the image of Jesus? Are you pushing them to struggle the way you struggled, to do what you did, how you did it, why you did it, or you are surrendering them to the spirit of liberty, who alone can point us to Jesus? And the church led by this man is known in the city. The church led by this man is feared in the city, but it is a church after his own image and his own likeness. One of the reasons why some of you have struggled in your leadership is because you are busy making images after yourself. You are busy trying to patent people to look like you. You are busy trying to make people to resemble you. And you forget you are called to imitate Jesus. And those who have the liberty can imitate you, but only as you imitate Jesus. Paul opened his mouth. And when he opened his mouth, it was Jesus. When he wrote his letters, it was Jesus. When he prayed his prayers, it was Jesus. Today, whichever thing you are forming, form it in the image of Jesus. Allow me to get my favorite guy back, my coffee. Only that now he has to sit down next to the cross. Next time you're looking for friends, don't look for preachers. (laughs) Now, a man sits on a hard rock. A man sits alone, without his wife, without his children, without his papers, without his career. And as he sits there waiting to die, something happens. Heavens open And he's caught up to the heavens. And as he's caught up to the heavens, a voice tells him, Take your pen, write! And he begins to write. But wait a minute. This man called John, our third and last person, was there when Peter was evangelizing. He was there when John was teaching. I mean, when Paul was teaching. He was also there when Jesus was teaching. So when it comes to evangelism, he has done his homework. This man called John, when he's sitting here, he has watched Paul teach, and therefore when it comes to teaching, he is at home. He does not pray to go to heaven. Heaven prays that it goes to it. He does not say, Father, come down. The Father tells him, John, come up. Am I going somewhere? As he's sitting down, he does not beg for souls to be saved anymore. He had the chance and he used it. By the way, when 3,000 people are getting saved in Acts chapter 2, John was there. When 5,000 people are getting saved in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, John was there. When letters were being written to the church in the council of Nicolins, John was there. Who knows, he was one of the co-signers of that letter. John has evangelized. John has taught. John has done his part of reaching out and sinking in. John has done his part of spreading out the good news. He has also done his part of sinking deep. Now John has one reward I pray some of you will have in this year. John gets caught up to heaven. And John begins to see things that are not understandable. John begins to have visitations that are beyond imagination. John begins to operate at a level theologians have never understood why. John was now caught up to the heavens. Can a marriage be caught up to heaven? Oh, yes. Can a business be caught up to heaven? Oh, yes. Can a career function from the heavens? Oh, yes. But there's a prize. Somebody said there's a prize. Two, actually three prizes. When John was with Jesus, before he met Jesus, the Bible says in the same Matthew chapter 4, from verse 18, going down, after Jesus had found Peter casting nets, he found John and his brother mending nets. John was a mender. John was intimate. John was a repairer. John did not walk into situations and begin to scatter them. John's business was to mend. John's business was to knit together. John's business was to bring together. I hope now you understand why he talked about love more than any apostle in the Bible. I hope now you understand why he talked about people coming together in fellowship more than any other apostle. How can your marriage get to the place John got to? You have to be a mender. You have to learn how to mend nets. You have to learn to pick pieces that have been torn and bring them back together. That is what, you remember the other day we were at the lake and we saw those nets. How sometimes fish can come in and the fish was so ferocious and it tears parts of the net. That does not mean we throw the net. It means we do what? We mend the net. And as I'm speaking right now, some of you, you are listening to the sound of my voice. You are about to throw that net away. And the Lord Jesus is saying, the God of John is still your God. Some of you are listening to me. You are about to throw away your morals to the wind and say, let it be. And the God of John is speaking to you. He's telling you, mend it and use it one more time. The more John mended nets and wrote letters to the effect of mending nets and preached sermon to the effect of mending nets, John was preparing to be caught to perfection. Because those who repair what is imperfect will soon be made perfect. Those who give what is imperfect another chance will soon be given another chance. Second thing, at the Last Supper, John was leaning on the chest of Jesus. Some could only be satisfied with the voice of Jesus. John wanted the heartbeat of Jesus. Some could be satisfied with the miracles of Jesus. But John wanted the heartbeat of Jesus. And today we are people, mai who are so anxious to preach and do miracles. But they have no time to hear what the heartbeat of Jesus is beating like. They have no idea whether Jesus is angry or is sad. Whether he is happy or impatient. They have no readings of the heartbeat of Jesus. They only have records of how many got saved and what happened. And what drama took place. They have no patience to sit at the heartbeat. Let me... Oh God, I wish you had more time. Let me tell you something. When Jesus met Paul... The Bible says he was pushed to the feet of Jesus. He was brought down and he fell at his feet. And what was Paul doing when Jesus met him? He was traveling. The rest of his life he kept traveling. But John, when he was found, he was mending nets. Do you mend nets near your shoe? Do you mend nets on your side? A net is meant near your heart. God is calling for people to learn art matters. If you are going to see glory, you must learn art matters. Don't speak what will not come from the art and what will not touch the art appropriately. The more John got the opportunity to touch us, the more John touched us. And some of you, you are busy displaying power and displaying activity and traveling and doing things as we speak. Most of you listening to me, you can't just wait to travel. Your legs are itching. And you wonder, after all those travels, where is the glory? Why is there no glory? Some of you cannot wait to perform miracles like Peter. Whose shadow could heal? And you are wondering, after all those miracles, why Is there no glory? There is no glory because there is no heart. And John sat down. Looking like a fool. And I know some of you, you feel stupid because you are sitting down a lot. You are praying a lot. You are fasting a lot. You are waiting on God a lot. You are trusting God a lot. You are writing a lot. You are doing nothing but a lot. And people are calling you names. People are saying, you are not acting. You are not gathering. You are not multiplying. Listen to me, brother. Listen to me, sister. The future belongs to those who will lean on the heart of Jesus. Heavens will open for those who will read the heartbeat of Jesus. So as I finish, Jesus says in Luke 9, verse 23, take up Your cross. And follow me. Now we can walk. This cross is not a religious thing some of you saw during Easter being carried. This cross is you taking evangelism. What is evangelism? Good news. The world is full of bad news already. We need some good news. The thief on your left needs good news. The thief on your right needs good news. And as you take this good news, as you learn to be positive and to be sweet and to be effective, as you learn to swallow your pride and to sit down to be taught, as you learn to swallow your impatience and to wait as you are being taught, you will not pray, Father, reveal your glory. Glory will happen. The Lord showed me this morning at four, as I waited on him. He showed me people walking in this congregation. And they were walking, but they were walking powerless. They were walking, but the devil did not fear them. They were walking, but destiny could not bow to them. They were walking, but doors could not open to them. Why were they not having effect? They were not having effect because they are not carrying their cross. They are not evangelistic enough. They are not learning enough and teaching enough. They are not sitting close to the attribute of Jesus. Because I'm sorry, my brother. If we remove this piece of wood, we don't have a cross. What we have is a stick. If we break this part, what we have is not a, is not a cross. We have a stick. And if we chop this down, we don't have a cross. We have a stick. And I want to ask you as I prepare to wind up. Do you carry the cross in that marriage? Do you carry the cross in that employment? Do you give good news or you give bad news? Pastor Kemani, can I use three more minutes? Allow me to use Paul. Paul, come. Let me rub it a bit further. And listen. John had one problem. Somebody say one problem. problem. In Revelation 17, verse 5, going down, John goes to a valley. And when he goes to the valley, he sees demons and Babylon and nasty things and depressing things and shadows and dark things. And he writes about those negative things he saw. So pretend you are in the valley. Soup down. So John for a few minutes is in a valley. And he's writing about Babylon the great. And this woman in scarlet dress. And all these things apocalyptic preachers tell us about. But in the same revelation. Chapter 21 verse 10. John is caught up in the mountain. And he goes up. And when John goes up, above the valley, above the shadows, above the darkness, John sees the new Jerusalem. John sees heaven. John sees God. For the first time, John sees light. Listen to me, prophets, and those of you trying to prophesy, and those of you trying to have prophetic blessing by speaking positive about the future. In prophecy, there is a valley. But don't forget, in prophecy, there is a mountain. Make sure before you release the valley on, our, on, our, on us, and release the valley, the valley in your prayers, and release the valley in your thinking. Make sure you have run to the mountain to see as God sees, to think as God thinks. When Mo- John is in the mountain. Finally, the church had hope that Jesus will come back. That Jesus will come back glorified. That the new Jerusalem will happen. In the valley, there was no hope. There was only reality, but no hope. There was only demons, but no hope. There was only darkness, but no hope. And I know some of you, that is how you run your businesses, and your marriages, and your leadership. You focus on the real. You forget the ideal. You focus on what is shaky and what is dark and what is slimy and what is deep and you do not remember that the God who expects you to come out of the valley as a mountain for you to see in perspective. And as I'm talking, some of you, you have destroyed your own life by living and talking in the valley. Remember, where was Goliath? Goliath was in a valley. And David after he killed Goliath He ran back to the mountain And he hid in the mountain Had he remained in the valley He would not have become king If I was a preacher I would tell you Tell your neighbors come out of the valley But I hope you are getting my point (laughs) My sermon has to come up to an end This cross This cross Must be carried. Carry the mountain. Carry the good news. Accept to teach and be taught. If you do that, if you do that, surely as God promised to establish and bless His church, God will bless you. As you do that from today, operating in balance, Never going to evangelistic and forgetting to teach. Never going to tutorial till you forget to be intimate in prophetic as you do that. Every blessing the Lord has to work through your life, he will work it for his own glory. You are there and you are saying, man of God, I am not a believer. This cross you are talking about, I have not made a commitment to follow the one who died on it. Man of God, I need to be prayed for. As our pastor is coming, you can also join us. And you can begin a new journey of carrying the cross and walking in victory. May the Lord bless you. Thank you, Pastor.
1: Before we close the service, we'd like to respond. Remember, we start by singing the song, The Cross Has the Final Word. The way He's brought that message is so deep, yet so simple for us to understand that it is every, everything that we need is on that cross. But are we willing to carry the cross? Because without the cross, then we don't have the final word. We don't have the answer to all the problems. And I like the way the man of God has touched every facet of our life. From business to relationship to marriage to the church. The way we conduct everything. It is the cross. Or like us respond to the cross. Take a minute. Respond. Ask yourself this question. Where is the cross in my life? Where is the cross in my life? Where is the cross in your life? Where is the cross in that marriage? Where is the cross in that business? Where is the cross in that relationship? Where is the cross in that difficult moment in your life? Where have you put the cross? If you focus to the cross, you see the answers. You see solutions. You see healing. You see deliverance. You see hope. You see salvation in that cross. If you focus on the cross, you see success and not failure. Father in heaven. You are merciful. You are loving. The cross carried shame. The cross carried pain. The cross carried disgrace. But Christ, you carried it on your back. And on the cross you who knew no sin the perfect one became imperfect so that those that are imperfect like us can be declared perfect. Help us from today to see the cross the way you see the cross. Forgive us for despising the cross. Forgive us for belittling the cross. Forgive us, O Lord, Lord, for misusing the cross. And today I pray for special revelation to come to all of us to be able to embrace the cross, to be able to love the cross, to be able to be bold about the cross and not to be ashamed. Help us Jesus. I know you are praying that prayer. I know all of us are praying that prayer. I know all of us are saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And indeed, I want to assure you, the Lord is helping us. The Lord is seeing, the Lord has seen that what we need is the cross. It's not more money. No. It's not another spouse. No. It's not. It's not. The answer. Is on the cross. If you see the cross, you'll be able to forgive that spouse. If you see the cross, you'll be able to forgive that son. If you see the cross, you'll be able to forgive that business partner who defrauded you. If you see the cross, you'll be able to forgive that young man or young lady that left you. If you see the cross, you'll be able to forgive the people that took away all your resources. Please, take them to the cross. Take them to the cross. And in that very mood, I want to ask, even in this house, as we focus on the cross, maybe you are here, and you've never given your life to Jesus, the one who died on that cross. You've never given your life to Jesus. We won't close this service without giving you an opportunity to receive Christ. That's why we came. Kindly do not be ashamed. Jesus was never ashamed to carry the cross for you. Lift up your hand. If you are not born again, you're in the house. Lift up your hand. That's why you came today. So that the Lord Jesus can help you. Lift up your hand. You're not born again. Don't be ashamed.